What's going on, everybody? I'm celebrating uh, what is the next four days as we're getting pretty close to the MLB trading deadline. Honestly, one of the most exciting times in a year of the year. I, I think of the other major sports, and I know there's some intrigue, certainly as you get close to each sport's respective trading deadline. But uh, honestly, there there are so many possibilities when it comes to baseball. We're going to touch on that in a little bit. I also want to throw a take when it comes to the judging that the Packers drafting of Jordan Love in the first round, obviously using their number one pick on Jordan Love a couple of years ago, essentially as Aaron Rodgers' replacement, was unequivocally a bad move. I'll throw some some issues that I have with it, but I'll tell you why it. you can't really say whether it's a good move or a bad move. But... Thinking about the the basics of being a sports fan, you know, we follow whatever sport we like, whatever teams we like. We certainly invest our heart and our soul into those sports. We watch games, whether on television, where we go to games in person. You know, all all of this kind of puts ourselves in in a very good position of judgment. If we're going to talk about exactly how good our favorite teams are or how bad our favorite teams are. And fans, we as fans, certainly reserve the right to that type of judgment. When we talk about our teams, whether the team we're watching is a good team, whether the team we watch is a bad team, these, these are all opinions that are certainly valid and worthy of all of us to have because we follow the respective sports that we love. So you're wondering, John, you're opening up this program, so many different things you could talk about. What exactly is this angle that you're trying to hit up right now? We're hard on our teams. We treat our teams probably different than any any teams that we don't root for. You know, the teams that we don't root for, we don't look from day to day. We're not critical of the players. We're not critical of the coaching staff, the management, the front office, the ownership, we tend to not criticize other organizations and teams that we don't particularly root for. So as that, you know, those ideas kind of come out, out of us, and I think a lot of it's natural. I think a lot of our reaction, certainly from a negative standpoint, is based off of frustration. You know, we get we get pretty pissed off if our team does something stupid. A player on our team does something stupid. Uh, we, we don't feel like the team's coached well enough. All these different things are very important. But what I believe, and you can call me wrong with this. I want to hear your point of view, your perspective, your take. It really all comes down. It only comes down to something very basic when we see things. Whether... Teams win or teams lose. And John, why would you make that so basic and so simple? Well, we tend to make so much out of winning and losing without identifying that that is the sole reason that can tell the difference between a team being good and a team being bad. A team being poor, a team being worth watching, a team not being worth watching. 
I could come up with so many different scenarios when you're talking about respective teams, but we'll go hypothetical. Let's say there's a team out there that is expected to compete, let's say in baseball, for a World Series championship. They have all the tools. The expectations are they're going to win their respective division. Um, they probably look like one of the best teams in their respective league. And all of a sudden, they start playing games. Games start. Uh, they get off to a bad start. They start losing some games here and there. And they're underachieving. They're not performing to the level of what was expected prior to the season or in spring training. You get to a certain point in the season where you want to blame, all right, these players are underperforming. This coach, this manager may not be pushing the right buttons. The front office didn't equip this team with enough depth. What do they all have in common? All of those statements are all excuses hiding away from the fact, the truth, the honesty, when a team is just simply being judged by whether they're winning games or losing games. And I think when it comes to winning and losing, sometimes the difference is so marginal. Sometimes the difference between a win and a loss is the skin of the teeth. Sometimes the best team doesn't always win an individual game. And what happens if the best team doesn't win an individual game a couple times? All of a sudden, that's a reflection of that bad team's good record and that good team's bad record. So as we are so, in some cases, disenchanted when it comes to who it is to blame for a team winning or a team losing, what about the other side, the team that was had, had no expectations? Nobody expected them to be any good this year. All of a sudden, wins a couple games. Wins a couple more games than they're expected. And over time, all of a sudden, they're 10 games, 20 games over 500 in baseball. Let's say in football, they start out a season 6-1 and one when nobody had any expectations that they were going to do any good. All of a sudden, it's, wow, these players are playing over their heads. When it comes down to it in sports, the greatest of teams are judged by one thing. The worst teams are judged by one thing. It comes down to wins and losses. We don't spend enough time talking about the simplicity of wins and losses. As the NFL season is approaching, and we'll see it in a little while, obviously all the excitement, training camp is starting. Teams are starting to formulate their rosters. We already went through the draft. We went through the releasing of the NFL schedule. And, you know, obviously everybody is so smart. They know that their team's going to go 10-6 and six or whatever the record is once the schedule's released, not knowing that the NFL has the most parity in all of sports. And we have no idea who's going to be any good. But when it comes down to it, when we start judging these games over the course of the NFL season, it's going to come down to wins and losses. And sure, a player making a bad play, a coach making a bad decision, players perpetually underachieving, injuries, these are all factors. But when we're going to sit here and talk about how great a team is in any sport, it's going to be based off of how many games they win as opposed to how many games they're losing. Where is their spot in their division? Are they in a race? Are they looking to make the playoffs? This is all factors of winning and losing. And the, the reality is, is we try to look to blame 
every single el- every, every single thing else that we possibly can. We blame the players. We blame a lot of cases and more cases than not management. Like I said, Major League Baseball manager, we think um, it's, it's back to 1980 and before when you hire a manager to actually write the lineup and set the defensive alignment. We understand that that doesn't happen anymore, or at least it's a fact it does not happen anymore. I guess it's up to you whether or not you want to realize or acknowledge it. But the simplicity of winning and losing, and that's why we think a culture has a lot to do with it. If you're around a winning culture, if the players, the coaches, the ownership, everybody that's involved knows what it's like to win, has won before, that we feel like there's almost this type of environment that can be created. And you see it in baseball sometimes. The belief is the Tampa Bay Rays have developed this type of culture. And I spoke in a, you know, a couple of weeks ago about how the Rays are probably the example of a system working in baseball. They have a system. They move different players in and out of it. They, they do make some moves here and there. But think about it. Blake Snell, Charlie Morton... Tyler Glass now, as important as those three pitchers were in their starting rotation last year, they seem to be doing okay without them this year. And I know Glass now is hurt. He might not pitch again this year. They traded Snell. They didn't re-sign Morton. But with the expectations that they have with the other players that they bring in there, it's a next man up mentality, but it's the perfect example of how a system can work in baseball. Now, how do you apply that to winning and losing? Is it culture-based? Or is it just simply a regular routine and a program that's set up? Hey, the starting pitchers for the Tampa Bay Rays are going to go through this type of routine to prepare prepare themselves for this game. Part of it's going to be the the physical end of it, but other of it's going to be the mental element. This is how you're going to pitch certain opponents. This is how you're going to use the defense to your advantage. Perhaps these are all things that are incorporated to the random Tampa Bay Ray starting pitcher. So they all know this going in. It may be an advantage that they have of how they attack the given lineup with not necessarily a specific skill set. And once again, when it comes down to it, the Rays, as they sit there, kind of up at the top of the AL East, going back and forth with the Red Sox. Red Sox at the moment are in first place. It's about winning and losing. And my the deeper questions I'm going to ask about this, Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, were good pitchers. The guys that are filling in for them didn't all of a sudden start pitching like Blake Snell and Charlie Morton. The Rays have a system in place and it's producing victories. It's producing wins. And because of that, everything's going to come up roses when we're talking about the Tampa Bay Rays and how good of a baseball team they are. It's not about the ownership. It's not about the management. It's not about the, the players. It's about the fact that they continue to win games. But once again, we, we try to overemphasize. Like, like I said, you could put any pitcher, Michael Waka. I bring up Michael Waka because he was so bad for the Mets in the brief amount of time that he pitched for them last season. He steps in. All of a sudden, the Rays don't look too bad. They're able to win games 
with him on the mount. And I think that's that's undervalued as we think of baseball as it sits right now. Winning and losing. The difference between going out there and winning the majority of the games that you play against being 500 or losing a lot of games. Like you look at the Tampa Bay Rays rotation, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the Rays because I've I've spoken a whole lot about them over the course of the past month. Mentioned them on Contending Baseball. Mentioned them on prior PBSs. Now, there's no question that the Rays have a ton of talent. You know, Shane McClanahan is a very good young left-hand pitcher. He's stepped into their rotation. He's pitching well. You know, Andrew Kittredge makes that occasional spot start for them. But, you know, he made his first all-star appearance this year. Diego Castillo. The bottom line is, though, the Rays can take star players or good players or players that perform very well from them, move on for them, and somehow continue the type of way that they go about their business. There's a little bit of Blake Snell and Ryan Yarbrough, even though Blake Snell has a ton more talent than Ryan Yarbrough. I would never make the mistake of saying that they were peers in regards to how talented one pitcher was against the other. You know, Tyler Glass now, off to a great start this year. Of course, the you know, no more spider attack. Uh, he claims it led to an injury. I'm not going to talk about whether or not spider attack should be in baseball or not, but I understand the reason it's gone. You know, they removed the sticky substances in baseball to generate more offense. There was no other reason. You could talk about cheating the element, the advantage that pitchers had. No, Major League Baseball was tired of the fact that there weren't being enough runs scored. And the pitchers were starting to have a distinct advantage over hitters. So, winning against losing. That's really what it is. Your team wins a couple more games. That's why they're better. They're not better because they got better players. They're not better because they got better coaches. They're not better because they got better managers. They're not better because they had better front offices. They're not better because they got better owners. They're not better because they got better fans. They're better because they won more games than they lost. It's winning against losing. And like I said, when you're talking about sports where the games could be so close, wins and losses are by the narrowest of margins. The narrowest of margins. And because it, because of it, you know, we tend to overreact. We tend to say these players suck. These players are great. This manager isn't any good. This owner is great. We all try to do everything else but state the obvious. Teams winning, teams losing. Team wins, you know, is all the great things. Players are great, coaches are great, owners are great, fans are great. One common denominator, the team's winning. Team loses. Players suck, the fans suck, the manager sucks, the coach sucks, the front office sucks, the owner sucks. One common denominator, your favorite team is losing. So I'm happy to see that Aaron Rodgers looks like he's going to be uniforming up for the Green Bay Packers this year. 
And I don't offer a, a ton in this because I think the talking heads are just going to repeat the same things at nauseum. But one unanimous fact exists that the Green Bay Packers front office made a mistake in the way that they treated Aaron Rodgers by drafting Jordan Love with their first overall pick two years ago. And that can't be disputed. That certainly has led to Aaron Rodgers not wanting to play for the Green Bay Packers. May have very well led to Aaron Rodgers having arguably his best season and winning the National Football League MVP this past year. But certainly is the reason why Aaron Rodgers has held out up until he has, has demanded a trade, doesn't want to play for the Green Bay Packers anymore. Of course, time goes by, he's going to start showing up. Well, guess when he's going to start showing up? We're going to start to deduct paychecks from him. When he mandatorily has to report. So if he's not there by the time he's to start collecting money, the Green Bay Packers reserve the right to not pay him anymore until he shows up. So that's the obvious reason why Aaron Rodgers is going to show up. But one of the worst things that teams can do in the National Football League, and you've seen it done probably not as often as the stories uh, are made out to be, but I think when it happens, it becomes a national story. When it happens, it creates controversy. It certainly gets the attention of, excuse me, the starting quarterback in the National Football League. Teams feel like they could sign off on their next quarterback for the next 10 to 12 years while their current star quarterback is still behind center. And it's not the first time that it's happened. Aaron Rodgers is not the first quarterback to go through this type of experience. In fact, his predecessor, Brett Favre, had to deal with that when the Packers decided to draft Aaron Rodgers with their first round pick a handful of years ago. Obviously, over a decade ago. Brett Favre didn't like that. Brett Favre didn't want to sit here and tutor and mentor his eventual successor. Because no star quarterback in the National Football League believes that they should ever be replaced. So there really is only one way to handle this. The best way to handle your quarterback in the future when you have a star quarterback in the moment is to make your decision at the exact time you're going to move on from the star quarterback that you have. In other words, do what the Indianapolis Colts did when they went 2-14 and 14 because Peyton Manning ended up having back surgery. Peyton Manning missed the season. The Colts didn't win a game until week 15. They ended up having a number one overall pick. And the consensus number one overall pick was one of the best quarterback prospects that the league has seen in years in Andrew Luck. And the Colts were in a tough situation. They had to decide whether they were going to go on with Peyton Manning as their starting quarterback or if they were going to take Andrew Luck with the number one overall pick and use him as their starting quarterback, as a star player for the next several years. They couldn't have both. And you know what? Not the Indianapolis Colts in the way that they handled Andrew Luck leading to his early retirement. That's fine. The Colts made the right decision. Or they made a decision which is much better than what the Packers are trying to do. And they're trying to do for two quarterback terms in a row. 
They feel like quarterbacks grow on trees. They could draft the next quarterback. Aaron Rodgers will go off at some point into the sunset, and Jordan Love will become a star just like Aaron Rodgers. Just like Aaron Rodgers became a star after Brett Favre did. You can't do it that way because it creates animosity. It creates hatred. Now, Aaron Rodgers may play this year. It looks like he's going to play this year kind of in a last dance scenario. This will be his last year there. After this, he's going to move on. Maybe Devontae Adams is going with him. Joe Montana had Steve Young as his backup quarterback for a while. Joe Montana got hurt. That gave Steve Young an opportunity to play. Steve Young got the opportunity to play. He was a star. Maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers knew that when they had him before they traded him to San Francisco. Maybe the 49ers knew that while he was kind of sitting in the wings waiting behind Joe Montana. But it forced the decision for the San Francisco 49ers to make. And that was, we can't go into the next season with Joe Montana and Steve Young here. One of these guys can't sit. They moved on from Joe Montana, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Steve Young was a Hall of Famer in his own right. He led the 49ers to a Super Bowl. Tom Brady, for a handful of years, is sitting there with Jimmy G. Jimmy Garoppolo as his backup. Now, what could have worked out ideally for the, the uh, Patriots if Brady signed as a free agent with the Tampa Bay Bucks, which he did. Maybe Garoppolo, if he was still there, he'd be the starting quarterback for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And maybe the Patriots would be okay for the next 10 years. Maybe. But no matter how much or how often this is tried, it never works out. In fact, Garoppolo was getting to a point where he was kind of pushing to play. And you know what? He got traded to San Francisco, won the first five games as a starter. His record as a starting quarterback for the 49ers is the a complete 180 for what the 49ers record is over the last five years in games that Jimmy G hasn't started. Now you can talk about durability. Maybe he, he can't stay healthy. That's why the 49ers drafted Trey Lance. And that's obviously another situation. At some point, you know, you draft Trey Lance with the number three overall pick. You, you didn't draft him to sit for five years. Maybe a couple. But at some point, you're going to be turning over the keys to Trey Lance, which is going to come at the expense of Jimmy Garoppolo, who is not going to be in San Francisco at that point anymore. So how does this apply to the Packers? You know, the general manager there thought if he took Jordan Love and Love sat, held the clipboard, learned, mentored under Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years, at some point Rodgers would move on and retire and then Love would be the quarterback and the Green Bay Packers would go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. And that all sounds great when you talk about it that way. Here's the problem. There was animosity between Favre and Rodgers. Not necessarily whether they liked each other or didn't like each other. But Brett Favre didn't want to retire. He certainly uh, stuck around a couple more years past his prime playing for the Minnesota Vikings and then the New York Jets before he finally called it quits. 
You know, nobody was going to tell Brett Favre when it was time to retire, but the Green Bay Packers kind of tried to do that by setting up a timeline when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. Pretty similar to what the Buccaneers did when they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, Garoppolo wasn't going to step in there and become the starter for the Pats right away. But eventually, the expectation was that Garoppolo was going to start and Brady was going to either retire or move on. And there's no saying whether these quarterbacks are going to continue to play. As long as they're out on the field, as long as they're putting that helmet on, lacing it up, they're expecting to be not just starters, but dominant stars and all-time players, the all-time great quarterbacks that they are. When it comes down to who you should have as a backup quarterback in the National Football League, here's my, my issue. You can't necessarily have the guy that you want to be the successor to the starting quarterback that you have in the NFL. And if you do that, it really can only be a one-year thing. Kind of like a Daniel Jones sitting for a couple starts and taking over for Eli Manning. Maybe Eli Manning kind of as he did for Kurt Warner. Even though Kurt Warner was a veteran. Kurt Warner's a Hall of Famer. Kurt Warner playing for the Giants obviously was not like Kurt Warner playing for the the Rams or the even the Cardinals for that matter. But when it comes down to it, you can't have your franchise quarterback of the future sitting behind the franchise quarterback of your present. You can't have an all-time great quarterback starting for you and have your future all-time great quarterback sitting behind him. So many teams try to do this and they make mistakes with it. Obviously, um, it's leading Aaron Rodgers out of town. It's led many other quarterbacks out of town. So the last point I want to make about this is who should you have as your backup quarterback? Because if you look at what happened to the Dallas Cowboys last season, Dak Prescott getting hurt. They don't have anybody capable. Andy Dalton did the best he could, but he was Andy Dalton. He wasn't Dak Prescott. The drop-off between the power of the starting quarterback and the backup quarterback kind of put the Dallas Cowboys out of contention last year. Similarly to Peyton Manning getting hurt and not having anybody in his league to back him up for a 16-game season and the Colts go 0-14 and and eventually 2-14. So you think of good backup quarterbacks. Because they're hard to come by. Because a good backup quarterback could probably be a starter for somebody. I think of somebody like a Nick Foles now. You know, he's got a Super Bowl ring. He led the Philadelphia Eagles to their only Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, he's sitting behind the depth chart in Chicago. That includes Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. So his opportunity to play is probably not so good. I would expect him at some point to get traded to a team that could use a serviceable backup. Having a Nick Foles behind you, no matter where you're at, is probably the type of backup quarterback you'd want to have. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the perfect backup quarterback to have. He's a guy that can start. He can start a whole season for you if you need him to. And he can also sit behind whoever your starter is. I think of some of the best backup quarterbacks in, in the National Football League. I think of Nick Foles because he won a Super Bowl. I think of Jeff Hostetler, if you go back, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, actually, wow, 30 years ago, 1990, 
Jeff Hostetler leading the Giants past the mighty Buffalo Bills. And if you're a little older than me, you might remember Earl Morrill. You know, led the Indianapolis Colts to the Super Bowl in Super Bowl III, where, of course, they lost in one of the biggest upsets in the history of professional sports to the New York Jets. But, you know, that was Johnny Unitas' team. Earl Morrill led that team to a 13-1 record in a regular season. You know, you think of some of Tom Brady's backups, Matt Castle, Brian Hoyer. You know, I think of a Matt Schaub, who I always thought was a quality backup. And what they all have in common, the players I just mentioned, not the Morals, not the Hostetlers, not the Foles, because, you know, Earl Morrill was in a Super Bowl, should have won. Jeff Hostetler, Nick Foles won Super Bowls. So I think of other backups, what they all have in common is they're, they're probably not knocking on the door to take anybody's job. And that's probably the hardest thing to find in the National Football League. But the problem is, is that, you know, the drama set out there when it comes to each draft, delusions of grandeur kind of take over. And there's there's a dream that every one of these quarterbacks that come out of college are going to be the next big stars in the National Football League. And that's, that's why a lot of quarterbacks are always going to go in the first round. And usually half of them aren't going to make it. Quarterbacks are going to be drafted in the second, third round, all the way up to the seventh round. And the thought behind it is, hey, maybe this quarterback didn't get enough exposure. Maybe this quarterback didn't get enough attention when when they were in college. Look at their numbers. Maybe they could do it. And I think they all deserve a chance at some point. But this, this thought that you're going to identify the starting quarterback of your future when you've already lucked out and have one of the all-time greats is a very flawed decision, a silly decision, and an outright incorrect one. Here's the one element of Jordan Love being drafted by the Green Bay Packers that I'm going to continue to support. That's the fact that nobody knows what Jordan Love is yet. And because of that, you can't say that the selection of Jordan Love was a terrible pick. Now, was it a divisive one? Yes. Was it the reason that Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded? Yes. Did it lead to Aaron Rodgers' tantrum? Yes. May may it have very well led to Rodgers having probably one of his best seasons in a National Football League and winning the MVP? Yes. Was Jordan Love a bad selection? Nobody can answer that right now. It's a question that cannot be answered. Because Jordan Love has not played a game. He's not showing up on a field yet. If this turns out to be Aaron Rodgers last year, he goes off into the sunset, plays for whoever next year, Houston. Then the Jordan Love era will begin next year. And you'll see. If this guy could play, if he's a pro bowler, if he's leading the Packers to the playoffs year in and year out, then that selection of Jordan Love doesn't turn out to be so bad. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, I'm glad to be with you. You can check out the Past Ball Show podcast, whether it's Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, the videos on YouTube. Give you a, a Cliff Notes version of today's program. I think one of the easiest things that we try to get into and discuss 
we always have blame set aside for when our teams don't perform. It's either a player didn't do a good enough job. It's either a uh, coach or a manager didn't do a good enough job. You know, maybe you as a fan didn't root hard enough for for that team. But we, we and we always try to find a reason why a team doesn't win a game or lose a game. And sometimes the victory or a loss can be by the narrowest of margins. We don't necessarily look at winning and losing that much. We always look at the reason that a, a team's winning or a team's losing, or a team performs or a team doesn't perform, or a team meets its, ex- its expectations or does not meet its expectations. And I think those are all things that are important to, to think about. But what does it come down to? Like I said, sometimes the narrowest of margins, sometimes the difference between a win and a loss is you know the space between my fingers when they're closed. But yet, we always try to find reasons why it's happening. Why is the team that we expected to do so well this year underperforming? Why is the team that nobody gave any thought to in the position that they're in? Well, it's because of the players. It's because of the coaching. It's because of the front office. It's because of the ownership. Sometimes you just win more games than you you lose. Sometimes you get one more big hit, one more big pitch, one more better call from the umpire. So many different elements are the difference between winning and losing, yet we don't like to talk about what causes winning and losing. We like to blame. It's because of this player. It's because of this coach. It's because of this owner. I think we should spend more time talking about reasons there's wins and losses. You know, the player gets a hit against a shift uh, on, a, on a ball that the pitcher threw in the right spot. Does anybody screw up there? You didn't have him played in the wrong spot. You didn't have him pitched in the wrong spot. The ball just ended up in the wrong spot. Spent a little time talking about quarterbacks in the National Football League, star quarterbacks. If you're lucky enough to have one, if you're fortunate enough to have one of the all-time greats, the worst thing you could do is try to hand-pick their successor. And that's what the Green Bay Packers did with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. They're trying to do it again with Jordan Love. The Patriots tried to do it with Jimmy Garoppolo. 49ers were able to hold under the radar for a while the fact that they were trying to do it out with Steve Young. They were able to do that for a while until Steve Young got a chance to play. When Joe Montana missed almost the entire season, Young went in there and was one of the best in the league. After that happened, Montana and Young couldn't play together anymore. And if you're the Green Bay Packers, and hypothetically Jordan Love becomes an all-time great quarterback, which my answer to that is I don't know. I don't know what Jordan Love is because I haven't seen him play in the NFL yet. I don't know what Jordan Love is because I haven't spent enough time following him in college. And even if I did, I don't know how that would translate to the National Football League. But what I do know is Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be in Green Bay for very much longer. And the question will be, how much longer does Aaron Rodgers have left? Does he have five more years? Does he wish to play that long? 
You know, does he end up going into a different environment where he he likes the culture there? And, um, you know, all of a sudden it's Aaron Rodgers against Jordan Love. Who's performing better? If you're an NFL team and you're lucky enough to have an all-time great quarterback, and there's teams that can never say that, the only way to move on from that all-time great quarterback the only time to plan who that quarterback successor is is to just rip off the band-aid. One day decide where they're going to trade our star quarterback, let him go as a free agent or release him, and then after that's done, handpick the successor for that star quarterback. Thank everybody for tuning in to the Pass Ball Show. We'll be back with you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.